You could argue that the major goals of social democracy, universal health care, and other social provisions, which is like, all right, <laughs> that's okay. It's just like I love universal health care and other social provisions like roads and education aren't like just as important to socialists, but whatever. Yeah. Were achieved whatever. long ago in Europe. But they aren't so fully realized and are thus potentially popular in America. Never mind our own robust welfare state. Like, that is a really confusing couple. Like, it's really confusing. But on top of that, like, it doesn't doesn't make any sense. It's like, oh, yeah, well, they never. The the major goals of social democracy, democracy were achieved. But they weren't fully realized, and so they're they're potentially popular in America, even though we have a welfare state. It's like, what? What are you talking also about? Like, who who calls America's welfare state robust? But who that, the fuck does that? But that misses the deeper point. Today's social democracy falls apart on the contradiction between advocating. <laughs> oh my God, Carl. Today's yeah, social democracy falls apart on the contradiction between advocating nearly unlimited government largesse and nearly unlimited immigration. Abolish ICE is a proper rallying cry for hardcore libertarians and Davos globalists, not democratic socialists or social democrats. A federal job guarantee is an intriguing idea, assuming the jobs are for some defined quote-unquote us that doesn't include every immigrant asylum seeker or undocumented worker (laughs) what does it matter Uh, if the strawberries are picked by like someone from mexico or someone from like down the road from where the strawberries are picked like does it matter no no (coughs) also like oh, oh no oh no maybe Countries that have really nice refugee laws that are also social democracies don't have these kinds of problems. I don't know. I've only been to Sweden a couple times. I only have some Swedish friends, you know. Who knows? I just mm. like, like it, the 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 contradiction between advocating nearly unlimited government largesse and nearly unlimited immigration. I, I'm just like, what the fuck? Are you, what are you talking about? And then abolish ICE is a proper rallying cry for hardcore libertarians and Davos globalists. What? What? Like the implication that like democratic socialists or social democrats like necessarily want to rip children out of their parents' arms and put them in camps. Like that's what he's trying to do. What the fuck? (laughs) Trump gets this. just I'm just glad the New York Times is the liberal bastion of truth. Trump yes. gets this, as does the far right in Europe, also known as Nazis, which is why they attract such powerful working class support. Want to preserve the welfare state? Build a wall, or in Europe's case, reinstate border controls. Want more immigrants and amnesty? Lower the minimum wage and abolish the closed shop. What? What the fuck? What the fuck? God, when are we getting hired at the New York Times? Like, seriously. When are they hiring us? This is horseshit. That, that, that is, like, want to preserve the welfare state, build a wall. But please choose. It's one or the other. It's possible Democrats will surrender to the illusion that they can have both. Puffing the sails of Ocasio-Cortez and her fellow travelers. Fuck you. (laughs) But a Democratic Party seriously interested in defeating congressional Republicans in the fall and Trump in 2020 isn't going to win by turning itself into a right-wing caricature of the left. What? Complete with a smug embrace of whatever it conceives to be socialism. Except it will. It will. That's like the most winningest thing to have them be like, y'all are socialists. They're like, well, yeah, we are. Huh? There's nothing wrong with that. Like, <laughs> that's a good thing. It's a winning argument. But I also like, love yes, that it's like, oh, uh, uh, you know, <clears throat> I know that I know that Trump is putting children in concentration camps, is bombing foreign countries, assassinating U.S. citizens on foreign soil, and, uh, you know just doing all of the things that, you know, a lot of the things that Obama did, but also just, you know, being awful too. But I love that it's like, oh, uh, well, if the if the left pushes for worker protections, universal health care, and access to education, well, 
They'll just be exactly the what. They'll be just a joke. They'll make themselves into a joke. You know, it's you know we got to keep bombing. We got to keep imprisoning children. And um, I'll tell you what, if the left pushes back, well, they're they're hilarious. They are, they are, they are John Stewart in themselves. <laughs> I mean, that's how, that's how these people think, right? That's the only way they could conceive of the world. If Trump is the new Nixon, the right way to oppose him isn't to summon the ghost of George McGovern. I have uh, I, that, that is a three hour lecture in itself about the fact <laughs> that like that whole election was f- f- so fucked up. Try. Oh, my God. Try some version of Bill Clinton in quote or in parentheses minus the grossness you minus the grossness for a change (laughs) working class affect middle class politics upper class aspirations because that's how you win a class war you be all three well i just wonder if like running bill clinton's wife might work maybe that would work to be has anyone asked her is hillary available somebody should talk to her about that oh my god if we could get hillary if we could get hillary to run there's no there's no way donald trump would win I've written, I've written elsewhere that a chief danger to democracy is a politics in which the center bends towards the fringe instead of the fringe bending towards the center. Oh my, oh my God! I want to have a stroke because Republicans and Democrats are both right wing. Yeah, they're both very right. Also, like this whole like center shit. It's like, is would it have been a good thing if Abe Lincoln was like, we'll take the centrist position, y'all can keep some of the slaves, but you gotta. Pay them. You gotta pay them a little bit. Look, folks. Look, folks. Bloody Kansas is a fluke. Is a fluke. What we need to do is make more states and continue to split them half and half, slave and free. (laughs) It won't cause a division in this country that lasts for the next 150 years. It won't. Folks, I promise. It'll be fine. It's the way Trump became president, but the antidote to one extreme isn't another, and Democrats will only win once they reclaim the vital center of American politics. God. The center is not is the center is Dayton and Denver, not Berkeley and Burlington. The center is Harry Truman and Daniel Patrick Moynihan, not Eugene Debs and Michael Harrington. Democrats who want to win should know this. Except you know where the socialists did well? You know, Eugene <laughs> Debs was like, like ran for president, got pretty successful, and then was imprisoned. <laughs> oh my god! I'm gonna have a stroke. This is one of the worst written things oh. I've read in quite a while. Yeah, uh, it's a good way to bring in the show, though, right? <laughs> I mean, just fucking hating somebody. Uh, I do an article. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it it God. it is. Uh, I'm just like look like ugh. It's just greasy. Like I don't care. Whatever he's wrong, but like I just loved it. Like yeah, this like infatuation with the center, the belief that like there is a left wing in like American politics. Like there's not. Find me. No, I mean, not. besides Ocasio Cortez. Find me and someone, Sanders, like it. and yeah, find that's me it. someone who, yeah, it is like okay. Cause you want to know what like that 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 I got to me is anarchy versus authoritarian and com- capitalism versus communism. And if you get, all all you've got for me is like yeah, sure, d- Democrats, you know, democracy, you know, Democrats in the sense that they believe in democracy and not authoritarianism. But then at the same time. Every single one of them is a capitalist. You're just like, okay, well, the, that's not yeah, left right. wing. There's not a balance, and there's not a center to come to. Also, having this mythical center isn't like a like that's not a solution. Like, if we're having a debate, and Carl says um, we should imprison children, and I say uh, we should really not imprison children, and so we just imprison half the children, that's not the that's right solution. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, but also, also like, it's not like somebody in the 2016 race ran really heavily to the center and and, and lost. You know, maybe maybe that would also be a way to say that. Oh, th- this opinion is shit. But I don't know. <laughs> Look, the only way 
the only way that Democrats are going to be able to reclaim their place in American politics is if they are able to get white suburban housewives to vote for them. If they can't get white suburban housewives to vote for them, then how are they going to move forward, okay? They're not. Then what's the point? Many months has come and gone since I wandered from my home In those Oklahoma hills where I was born Many a page of life has turned, many a lesson I have learned Well, I feel like in those hills I still belong Way down yonder in the Indian nation Ride my pony on the reservation In those Oklahoma hills where I was born Now way down yonder in the Indian nation The cowboy's life is my occupation In those Oklahoma hills where I was born I'm Adam Burnett and this week it's just me and Carl on the show And this is Red Star Over Oklahoma We are a small political and news podcast Broadcasting about left Oklahoma um, this week, we're going to do a little bit about uh, our favorite gentleman, Mr. Scott Pruitt. Uh, Carl's going to lead us in some discussion about the migrant crisis and what's going on in Europe right now before we turn to Oklahoma news and uh, do a little omnibus story about uh, the private prison industry in Oklahoma. I know we've covered it before, but um, it's gotten worse. Um, so as I'm sure most of you guys are aware, um, Scott Pruitt, uh, all right, man, we got to report the news here. Are you saying resigned or are you saying got fired? He was told by John Kelly to resign. Yeah, that's, that's definitely what happened. That's a hundred percent how that worked down. It worked out. You know what I mean? So Scott Pruitt, that worked out. Scott Pruitt has resigned as administra- as administrator of the EPA um, uh, first you know we learned about this through a Trump tweet uh, there has been some um, th- th- that has been the reporting I have read as well is that is it is it John Kelly or Scott Kelly is the chief of staff uh, John Kelly it's yeah John Kelly. yeah yeah that's what I thought. Uh, and John Kelly was the chief of staff who was the one who um, told uh, Pruitt that he would be leaving. Also, can I say that, man, uh, uh, you know, we don't catch a lot of breaks uh, with our political disposition. But the fact that he got fired or resigned, quit, was told to whatever after he after the filing date for attorney general race in Oklahoma. It's so oh. good. Oh, it's so nice. I mean, now, though, like, people might forget all the terrible things he's done, so he might be able to run again eventually, but... Uh, no, he's 100%. He's 100% running for Inhofe's seat when Inhofe. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no way that's not happening. Yeah. Um, so, I, there's this... We just shit on the New York Times pretty hard, but um, there's another New York Times article, and I was going to run through it because this is the list of all of the investigations, all 13 of the investigations that were going on into uh, old Scotty's uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Old Scotty's stupid behavior. Yeah. Uh, So the first one uh, was a the EPA has acknowledged that Mr. Pruitt paid $50 per night last year to live in a Washington condo co-owned by the wife of an energy lobbyist who has had business in front of the agency. So, like, not only is 50 bucks a night, like, nothing, it's, it's essentially Especially nothing. Especially in fucking D.C., one of the For most For a house, a condo, yeah, a condo, <clears throat> and so he's paying almost nothing. Not only that, but, like, the money that is being paid is being paid out of the EPA to an energy lobbyist who has business in front of the agency, so sweet, super yes. good. Um I'm sure, I think we talked about this one, uh, but this one's just fun. Uh, the Government Accountability Office, the congressional watchdog, has already ruled that Mr. Pruitt's purchase of a $43,000 secure phone booth broke the law because the EPA is required to inform Congress of spending that exceeds a $5,000 limit for office refurbishing. I just love it because who's he talking to? Is he, is yeah, he like, the, what the fuck? Is he the line to Russia? <laughs> 
but it's just like what what do you need a, like can't you I, I thought the whole point of like a burner phone is that it's eleven dollars from Walmart and then you have a secure phone line. That, I mean well Adam, but don't you know that uh, the evil demon status trying to destroy Christianity have bugs in 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 the cell phone wires? Uh, I actually do know that. Do do, <laughs> do you know that I, I just learned this. Uh, the FBI put out a report that um, there has been um, – they have found evidence of people using um, essentially cell phone trackers in D.C. that can jump onto unsecured phone lines and listen into conversations. And all of Trump's tweeting is done from an unsecured BlackBerry. So – He's just talking to foreign governments and letting whoever's sitting outside the White House listen. But well, I mean, didn't that didn't like a guy manage to call him on a prank call too? I I haven't like, heard that. Like, it's just okay. Well, it's just like it's just all this unsecured phone stuff. It's like this is just not. Well, you know. hey, you know what? He's not operating an illegal, illegal, illegal email server. Okay. He's not in direct violation of every norm that, that we <laughs> well, have not, by having honest, an email account. He's not op- he's not operating an illegal email server because like all the the mail and messaging and stuff is it done on email because the only thing he can use on his phone is the Twitter account is his, is his Twitter app. So they're like John Kelly is like sending him via Twitter messages saying here's your schedule of the day. You know that's true. I have oh to believe God. that. It still upsets me that what I would give to get the president's daily briefing every day, like how amazing that would be just to have people whose job it is to like make the best like newspaper in the world just for me. And the fact that he's like playing on his phone, like replying and replying to tweets and like retweeting stuff while he's doing that just like infuriates the inside of my brain. But back to Mr. Pruitt. I think this one's great because this is one uh, that I just, I just, I just love. Con, you know, drumbeat conservatives who are like, we have to tighten the budget, and the way we tighten the budget is by slashing regulations. And also, Mr. Pruitt's 24-hour security detail of at least 20 people was more than three times as large as once for previous EPA administrators. Agency <laughs> officials have confirmed that the EPA spent about 3.5 million dollars in taxpayer money on salary, overtime, and travel expenses expenses for the security team during Pruitt's first year in office. So, so like, I just love that, um, you like, like every one of these people would be like, well, you dirty socialists want to take our taxpayer money and waste it by giving it out to the poors. And at the exact same time, he's got a 20 man security detail. That's just like following him him around while he's picking up KFC for DT. (laughs) And it's just like, that's not waste somehow, you know, not that's not waste. That's not waste. For some reason, you know, the, the fucking EPA administrator constantly under threat. Well, it's, 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 I think like, it's one of the things that always like, gets me is that like like everyone who complains about like the welfare state or like a redistribution of wealth system i'm like do you realize what efficiency is you're all capitalists you all yell about efficiency all the freaking time and how you know the best and most forward thinking thing will rise to the top but like have you guys really considered the fact like how much waste and inefficiency rich people are like, have you seen yachts? Like, it's so inefficient. Why do we have those? Like, have you seen, like, DJ Khaled's Snapchat story? Because, like, he is incredibly inefficient. They're just throwing food away. And it's like, but no, it's the poors who get the scraps. They're the ones who are inefficient, not the rich people who are just burning all of our resources as, you know, a just joke for themselves. Anyway. Yeah, it's like... It's this thing. It's actually what I'm gonna do is my favorite for the week. I'm bringing that back this week because I want to share it, um, and everybody should check out. Which is one of those things where it's like, look at the inefficiencies of rich people. Like Bernie Sanders has has a lake house. Who gives a shit? Jeff Bezos made a useless clock in the middle of the desert for no good reason. What? How Elon Musk shot a car into space. Yeah, he just shot a car into space because he has a tiny penis. Like, well, who does that help? Who does that help? It doesn't help anybody. Also, I'm sorry if anybody 
it's not actually it's totally okay to have a tiny penis it's not it's fine no nobody shaming on the show nobody shaming although i will shame scott pruitt uh so here's another one uh, the EPA's inspector general is looking into Mr. Pruitt's frequent travel home to Oklahoma last year at taxpayer expense. His use of private first class and military flights and trips he took to Italy and Morocco. Mr. Pruitt regularly flew first class at taxpayer expense in his first year at office. And we talked about this one. And as I'm sure you all remember, his excuse for why he had to fly first class is because if he flew coach, people would make fun of him. Which did happen to him. And a restaurant, which is also hilarious. <laughs> the, EPA inspector right. the EPA inspector general is investigating the use of a provision of a clean drinking water law to hire ex-lobbyists and give raises to political aides. So, again, if you wonder how the world works or if you're confused about what waste or inefficiency is, they took a clean drinking water law... And use it as a way to funnel money into private pockets. <laughs> hey, isn't that the whole point of government? When he took the helm of the EPA, it was understood that Mr. Pruitt had two official email accounts. However, two other email addresses later emerged. Sooner7 at EPA.gov, the mascot of the University of Oklahoma sports team, and ESP7 at EPA.gov, the initials of his full name, Edward Scott Pruitt. Or, or so, uh, 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 mind magic. Maybe he's just a wizard. You know, maybe the EPA is sitting on somebody with ESP, huh? You think about that, Adam? The EPA Inspector General has taken up an inquiry into a meeting Mr. Pruitt held with the National Mining Association as well, where it is alleged that Mr. Pruitt had encouraged the coal mining industry group to urge Mr. Trump to withdraw from the Paris Climate Change Agreement. <laughs> Again, illegal. Cannot do. <laughs> but that's okay, you know. Totally okay. There maybe are... this is like, like maybe this is one of the reasons why right wing people think that socialists are just gonna do graft and shit the whole time they're in government because all they do is that. Yeah. Okay. So great just... example. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Tell, this is the last one I have on him. There's a lot more, and we'll link to this article. Uh, but there's a lot more. But I'll, I'll read this last one. Mr. Pruitt gave a political aide the task of helping him seek a business opportunity for his wife with the fast food chain Chick-fil-A. Mr. Pruitt reportedly spoke with Chick-fil-A representatives about the possibility of his wife opening a franchise, though she never did. Senate Democrats, Senate Democrats have asked the EVA's inspector general to investigate Mr. Pruitt's efforts. So someone working on the taxpayer dime for the Environmental Protection Agency was told, I need you to get my wife a Chick-fil-A. No, I'll call it by its real name. Uh, uh, the Hates Gay's Chicken Place. You know, <laughs> that's, that's the real name. It's not Chick-fil-A. It's, it's just the homophobic anti-cow restaurant. Their anti-cow rhetoric is uh, um, it's pretty stark. It's not, it's not okay. It's not okay, you know? Well, moving on from not okay to still not okay, do you want to tell us about uh, what's going on in Europe? Uh, yes, I would love to do that. Um, what we've got going on in Europe, I don't know if you all have been following this, I think it's pretty important, um, is we've got some, some crazy stuff going on about, about uh, refugee problems facing Europe. So I want to... <laughs> I want to just tell everybody how we got here because I think it's pretty, pretty telling in a way about how important like how you set up institutions um, is, and then also some some other stuff about how fucking fascism sneaks in in the back, you know. Um, right now, like we just barely got away from a situation where the entire German government collapsed and they had to go get elections again, and I mean we're we've almost come up on a. It's probably been about a year. It's been close to a year since we started doing the show. It hasn't been a full year yet. And we already had an episode about German elections, so you might remember that. Um, so it would have been a pretty big deal if the German government collapsed. But but we just got around it by getting some a lot, a lot stricter policies um, at the European level to deal with refugees. Uh, and basically what, what happened was this. Uh, refugees have been coming into Europe from the south, we all know this, uh, mostly across the Mediterranean. They normally come across 
from Libya because, you know, there's not a meaningful government in Libya right now. Or they come across from Turkey, right? Where um, there is then, assuredly a meaningful government. Yes. Senator type Erdogan is a, a, a general 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 hands hands Erdog is a <laughs> okay. I'm telling you, president type Senator Lord Hare Erdog is is he is a political figure that's not going anywhere. I'm just gonna tell you right mm, now. Uh, no, no, he uh, he did get reelected with the number of votes that the state-run media agency accidentally tweeted out a few days before the election. All my truckers' friends were pretty happy about that. Uh, definitely felt like that wasn't a bad thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, so that... The, the <laughs> Senator Lord Aaron... I don't know. I can't uh. say his name. <laughs> It's just Erdogan. That's all you have to. That's how you say it. Or you just do the white people thing. Just say Erdogan. It's fine. No, 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 no. no. You have um, to. That's but that's not that's not how you pronounce it. It's it's Prince Lord type Erdog to win. I think that Erdogan was it. I think that was it. Well, because because it's like it's like uh, whenever like it's like a Vietnamese like win like that name. It's like that, yeah. except that it's Turkish, so they just put letters in orders, and then you just have to kind of slide around them, because none of them, are, they're all made up. <laughs> so, and so what happens is, these refugees, they come into the EU, and the rules for EU, refu uh, like, refugee ship, um, or, or getting refugee status, are, are set out under the, what's called, I think it's the Dublin Protocol, it's Dublin something, right? Um, and... The first country you get into in the EU is the one you're supposed to apply, where you're supposed to apply for asylum, right? Unsurprisingly, nobody wants to apply for asylum in Greece because uh, Greece's economy is a hot mess on its own terms. Um, nobody wants to apply for asylum in Italy for roughly the same reason, especially because southern Italy is a lot less well off than, than northern Italy. Um, and not that many people come through Spain. It does happen, and Spain is being a lot nicer about it than they used to since they just had a, a change in who runs the government from uh, center right to center left. Um, but what happened and, – and so the problem is that they're supposed to apply for refugee status, like I just said, where they get in. And they all leave where they get in and go to somewhere – unsurprising I think to all of us right they go to France they go to Germany they go to Sweden they go to Denmark they go to uh, the UK they go to rich countries in the north that are doing well right and this has generally not been a problem especially for Merkel it's been a big problem in the UK but it's not been a problem terribly so for political parties in uh, France or, or Germany until now and the what has happened in Germany is that after the last election and the AfD, the the, the neo Nazis basically got into parliament, the right wing party of Merkel's coalition, which is like a sister party, like if the Republican if there was like a, a, a Republican state party of Texas that was its own political party, and then like the National Republican Party didn't work didn't do anything in Texas, let them have their own thing, and then they work together at the national level. It's like that situation for Bavaria, the state where all the refugees enter in Germany. And they have almost thrown the government uh, in, into shambles and just split up her, her ruling coalition right now because they have elections at home in Bavaria, and they're terribly afraid that they're going to lose a shit ton of votes to the right-wing people, which they will do, and there's nothing they could do about it, and being more right-wing won't work. And what that has meant for all of Europe, because their demand has been, we need to put new border controls on the southern border with Austria, that has been basically a like problem that threatened to split Europe apart, to just destroy the European Union in its entirety. Um, pretty terrifying, right? You, you, you wouldn't think that stuff would matter as much. Um, and then it does. And they've been getting a lot of support from people like Viktor Orban or the president of the Czech Republic, who... Babish, um, Viktor Orban is the is the current leader of Hungary, who support this stuff and don't want any immigrants in their country, don't want any refugees in their right wing shit bags. Also Poland, uh, so and then that's also happening. In Slovakia, Listen, the Poles um, are not to be blamed 
for like basically anything. and that's important we we don't blame polish people for anything because they actually do arrest you if you blame polish people for stuff that's like a, they have a law now that's like if you say any polish people were involved in the holocaust you go to jail um which is like oh well turns out they're um well good good i'm glad i'm glad you have the tight political analysis of what happened and what poland's role in world war ii was <laughs> Yes, very important. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're at this point where these kind of like right wing bad European rules to try and throw the whole system under the bus and destroy everything, you know? That's the thing. The system wasn't set up particularly well at the beginning. And now, like the European Union, probably the best thing that's ever been created in terms of like transnational unity and work is getting thrown under the bus because they made rules stupidly back whenever stuff wasn't a problem and now everybody's everybody's mad yeah well, i the think story, folks I, well i think one of the i think one of the important parts with this and it's just one of the things that i think of a lot when you know we deal with you know the migrant crisis that is in both i mean you know I think the American migrant crisis is mostly manufactured. Uh, but, I mean, there is an actual migrant crisis of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people fleeing war-torn areas in Syria and North, you know, in the Middle East and North Africa uh, and heading into Europe. And, I mean, you know, and the, the thing about it is, is, you know, if you let Turkey or um, you didn't say Bosnia, what was the other country you said? Where they mostly Bolivia. enter Bolivia. They they most no they mostly go through Libya or Turkey to get to Europe. Yeah, well, and so the 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 problem with that is if you start to shut those those ways for them to get through down, then you just have bodies washing up on the Greek coast because they'll just take like rafts and then just float them out into the water yeah. and try because there's 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 a better chance of them getting a raft from. Syria to Greece than there is of them not getting hit by a drone strike in Syria. Well, there's also, I mean, it's also, you know, it's the threat. It's like, okay, are you going to live through like the day-to-day -day fucking grind of wanting to kill yourself because there's no way to get forward because your, your country is getting looted by neo-imperialist powers? Or are you going to try and go to those places and have a good life, you know? Yeah. Maybe you and die I mean, not just that, but yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, it would, you know, just the destruction, you know, well, you can't go to school and you don't have an internet connection. You can't really get fresh water or clean food. You, anything you build is liable to be destroyed. It's just like, yeah, why would you, why, why wouldn't you go try and get out of there? Especially if you had children. I mean, not just, you know, a, a, an instinct for self-preservation, but an instinct for family preservation says, I don't know. That's one of the things that always pisses me off about, the, you know, Republicans and conservatives in uh, the U.S. whenever they talk about, you know, migrants and like, like what how, you guys use the same rhetoric. I would do anything for my children. I would sacrifice my life for my child. I would get, do anything in the world to give my child the best opportunities that they can possibly have. And it's like, so if you were in Mexico, you would come to America to try and get a better life. Well, I would do it the right way. I'm like, no, you wouldn't. Yeah. Not if the right way took 23 years. Like, you just said you'd do anything. And now you're saying, like, well, I will fill out the forms. Very, very, very good. No, no, you're, you're just, you just see an other and have decided to label that other. And once you have a label for that other, you can differentiate from them from yourselves and then choose to put it on them as if, they created this situation when in reality they are fleeing a situation created by powers higher than themselves. And on top of that, doing something that you advocate, like doing something yeah. that you approve of and that you do for your own life and would do for your own children. But you just choose to otherize them, you know, whether it's, you know, immigrants in America or in Europe, you choose to otherize and then you're, you, it gives you an excuse to be a terrible bigot. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. That's what they use it for. And then they use, and, and, and in Europe, it's the same problem where you use the structures that exist to say, well, you got to do it legally, even if it means it fucking sucks for you, even if it means you don't get the stuff you need, even if it sucks for other people, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. 
And that's the whole argument. And it's just a bunch of bullshit, you know? It's just a way to make people who have lives that could be made easily better, you know, have to live shittier lives, you know? That's the whole point, is that you just don't want to give up some of your shit. You don't want to have to fucking see, um, you know, you don't want to have to see... A, Arabs in the big city when you leave your rural small town to go there and, and now you want to make all their life shitty. That's the whole point. Yeah. And it's just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, and it is a, you know, especially, and I think, you know, you already spoke to it a bit, but in it's a, it's, it's a different kind of thing in America uh, versus in Europe because in Europe, those smaller states do have, I mean, not just, you know, rich cultural identities, but I mean, you know, the, the, the last hundred years, I mean, not even the last hundred years, the last 90, 80 years have been the first time so many of these countries have actually had a actual like government sanctioned state that provides support for their culture and provides those kind of things. You know, a lot of those governments, while they may not be, you know, young, there may have been governments there for a long time, but I mean... World War One saw the fall of, what, 80% of the monarchies in... Yeah, kind of and so these these governments are still very young and i think that that plays a role in this as well because they can't help but they can't get around that problem of being a country that is young and is um fearful of its independence and its sovereignty and its cultural independence and it's and it's and they have that reaction to want to protect themselves, but whether or not that's right, you know, we probably would say it isn't right. You shouldn't, you know, otherize and do those kind of things just to protect your culture when you can allow both cultures to thrive. But I still think at the same time, it is, uh, it is at least worth, you know, like, like you kind of described the, the deeper dive into understanding how um, those relationships work yeah and i think it's also important to understand how like you can get you know when you have big complicated things you can get somebody some bad faith actor who just fucks up the system you know this is all because of the equivalent of state level elections in the u.s almost the entirety of the european union got collapsed because of that you know think about that think about if oklahoma elections almost led to the collapse of 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 I don't know, NAFTA or something. You know, that's basically what happened, except it's way more intense. And that's why we gotta that's why we gotta worry about how society is structured. Not worry so much about the people who and you know, the individuals involved in it, because those kind of structuring things are what ends up mattering at the well, end. And I think it's one of those things like at the the beginning when we were reading that awful New York Times article, is like one of the things like I always get frustrated whenever I talk to libertarians because they are all you know, we, we made fun of it, but they're all, you know, oh, the government needs to get out of my business. You shouldn't be allowed to tax me. Also, I am anti-immigrant, anti-bullying, anti-this, anti-abortion, anti-that. And it's like, well, how can you be anti-all these things if you don't want the government involved? Like, that's not, yeah, it's a contradiction. But, like, the that article was kind of like, oh, you can't have, you know unlimited government largesse and unlimited immigration is like no it is actually you really can't. easy because if you provide social support you can take your hands out of the culture pot yeah just leave it alone you can just say okay cool it seems like you guys have a nice insular community if you need education go to this building if you need health care go to this building um once every six months, we'll fix your potholes. And uh, as long as you don't kill anybody with your religious practices, you can continue to do them. But and if you need some, some money, we could give you some money too. That, yeah. That's really just how it should work. But are you ready to move on to Oklahoma news for the week? Yes. Quite, quite ready to do that. Yeah. Our big, big omnibus story. Yeah, so this is, I mean, we just wanted to kind of re-talk about um, the prison industrial complex in Oklahoma. And I mean, this is one of the things that I think sh strikes in my heart more than almost anything because it is just such a ma like massive problem and also just such a 
thing it's just overwhelming it's just we're, we'll go into it um the first end of this uh, i'm gonna read some reporting from uh the the frontier uh which is a online um I don't know if you call it a newspaper or a magazine. I think it might be a news magazine more than it's a newspaper. Newspaper, yeah. Um, but, um, so, this has been a bit of interesting reporting. Um, basically, uh, there is a group called the GEO Group, and they own several prisons, uh, principally the Lawton Correctional Facility, which holds about 10% of Oklahoma's prison population. They want a increase uh, in funding, um, you know, and you can, you can, you know, look at that from the, from one way of saying, you know, well, they want to, you know, more money to line their pockets, which I think we both agree is probably true. It's and then there's exclusively what's happening. There's also, you know, it, you know, they, they would say that they are going to build more beds and yada, 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 and put more things in and provide for more things and yada, yada, yada. But that's just doesn't seem to be historically accurate. Um, they hold 2,600 inmates. Um, and this is the largest uh, private in, uh, prison group uh, in Oklahoma. Um, so Oklahoma's prisons are operating at 114% capacity. Which means we're already overloaded on our prison, um, and this private uh, the the GEO group um, has asked the state for more money. They have gotten a rate increase on a new five year deal uh, at two point eight million dollars, um, and so like this is like one important because like they're benefiting from what I would consider consider what I would uh, consider to be um, like a union and collective bargaining and like, like workers rights because uh, they provide a service and they bent the state of Oklahoma over a barrel and they said, hi, you're going to pay or we're going to close our prison and you're going to be at 135% over capacity instead yeah. of 114% over capacity. And so they gave them everything they wanted this $2.8 million rate increase, which like I said, you know, you can look at it a myriad of ways, but really one of two, you know, either lying in their pockets or, you know, the benevolence, which is, you know, they somehow are, you know, you know, putting more beds in or providing more security or whatever. Uh, but the reason why I kind of am whatevering that is that, uh, the GEO group is, uh, they don't really have a, have a good history of conforming in, uh, with the performance terms of the contract with the State Department of uh, Corrections, including being cited for improper use of restraints, uh, such as uh, handcuffing people or handcuffing people to walls and leaving them there for a long extended period of time without justification, and late releases, meaning keeping people after they've been allowed out uh one of the one of these is that uh prison staff kept an inmate in restraints for 14 hours there was no documentation of any mental health staff supervising the situation for 12 of the 14 hours and on, on t uh, for some of that too like with the state release release shit a guy got released 307 days late mm -hmm. that is 10 months after he had served his time and on top of that, you know, you talk about we talked about waste earlier. The Department of Corrections uh, assessed a monetary penalty of three hundred eighty thousand dollars against the GEO group for holding that person three hundred and seven days late. That like that th that money, like even though direct the Department of Corrections assessed them a fine, they that money the, the Department of Corrections still pays them, and so it's just the same money going back to the Department of Corrections so that they can give it back to the GEO group. Yep. Uh, here is a quote from Joe Albaugh, the director of the Oklahoma Department of Corrections. Private prisons do not run their facilities to our standards, but they are supposed to adhere to our operational protocols. The only way you can get their attention is financial sanctions. Yeah, it's almost like they're for-profit businesses. So, um, additionally, they've had brawls and revolts against the staff at this GEO prison. They've got uh, 2,600 beds in his Oklahoma's largest private prison. On April 4th of 2017, 14 inmates 
uh, broke out of the windows of their cell doors and used electrical outlets to ignite pieces of torn mattress, which they tossed into the day room in front of their cells. Uh, the next morning, staff used pepper spray to subdue 27 inmates as they conducted targeted searches for contraband to believe be smuggled in by the Irish mob. Uh, prison guards used 63.3 ounces of pepper spray, about the equivalent of a six-pack of beer, to subdue inmates during the searches, as well as muzzle blast pepper spray cartridges designed for dispersing crowds. There was another incident at July uh, 19th and another imp- incident on August 2nd. Um, these pl- prisons aren't safe place to be. And like wh- whatever you think about criminals, um, this isn't good. This isn't how a correctional facility should be ran. And you could say, well, they're animal. You know, if you want to take the hard, you know, hard line, completely misunderstanding, uh, tact and just say, well, they're animals. They're, they're violent, crude. And all they know is to beat each other and be evil. Well, great. But we're we're state government and that's not what state government is supposed to do you know there are there are prison facilities across this planet where things don't happen this way and to say that this is some predilection of the prisoners over a a response to the system they're in is to completely miss the point yeah I mean, it, it, we're, we're, we're talking about a prison that, that releases people 10 months late, that handcuffs people, to, that does, like, fucking Spanish Inquisition-level shit. Of course people are going to get mad and revolt, you know? Well, and not only that, but they, 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 they apparently aren't doing, you know, other proper steps in, in you know, isolating gang members, keeping them away from each other, having a clean environment, not letting contraband in. Just, you know, th- those kind of things that guards need to do. But they don't give a shit. They're not using that money that they have to hire better guards or put in more security or make sure that not just is that place safe, but it's safe for the prisoners inside of it. They're not doing that. They're just lining their pockets and stuffing as many people in they can. Because that's really what this came down to. Um, the state, This state, Oklahoma's incarceration rate of 1,079 poor... 1,079 people per 100,000 people is now believed to be the highest in the world. The world, guys. So anytime anyone ever says, oh, don't you know about gulags? Just remind them that Oklahoma has the highest incarceration rate in the world. The whole world. The Department of Corrections says it needs... Yep. I think it's important to note, too, why would you run a private prison? Oh, because you can make prisoners work and produce products that you can sell. That's why you would run a private prison, because that's legal in the U.S. So when people say, oh, gulags, what about gulags? What do you think a private prison is? It's a gulag for profit of some the fucking shareholder ghouls. That's all it is. So... The Department of Correction says it needs an additional $813 million for two new medium security fil- facilities to ease the strain on the system. Uh, or, you know, you could relax a lot of criminal laws and not imprison people for, you know, nonviolent crimes. But here I am over here saying my piece. And uh, to exactly uh, what um, uh, Carl was saying. One of the prison contractors of the GEO group um, gave campaign contributions to a bill sponsor that uh, uh, that raised the per diem rate private private prison beds are assessed at uh, in Oklahoma. Uh, so just, just so you know, not only do are they stuff in their pockets with money, but they're using the, the, that money to influence elections and influence, uh, what bills get passed to reaffirm themselves. And if anyone says that, oh, well, this is a difference between capitalism and corporatism and capitalism, we wouldn't have these things because we would, we would go around them. No, this is the end of capitalism. This is what, this is what happens. This is how it is always yeah. in how it will always work and how it will always reduce to. Well, this is, I mean, this is, this is exactly what I wanted to do with the story about, about, uh, the, the, the problem in Europe right now is show that, you know, you have a set of institutions that are set up a certain way and that has really deep effects later on, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what this is, is all those fucking chuds that say something like that's corporatism. It's like, well, it is in their interest to donate that $2,000 to the state government to take their fucking $383,000 fine on the chin 
and to gladly take their two point eight billion uh, million dollar raise. You know, the math adds up for that. Yeah, it's it's it, and that's what they're supposed to do. That's what they're supposed to do is turn a profit. And they do it. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it is. And, you know, there's ANCAP, I can hear ANCAPs in the back of my head yelling about this, but, you know, it is that they, on one hand, the Republicans in this country, they tout freedom and they tout capitalism as this end-all, be-all, yet they make a state system where they take taxpayer money and then they make a very harsh criminal code so that they have a captive market that they can enslave for all intents and purposes and bind where they can have a constant drain on the resources of the state by getting taxpayer dollars. But yeah, it's just, it's all about that taxpayer dollar getting, I mean, it's just a siphon system. You know, if we, we wouldn't have to spend as many resources as we did through plenty of reforms that we could make on the prison industrial complex, but instead we waste money by doing this awful thing so that some rich guys can get richer. Yeah, that's it. That's just it. So some rich guys can get richer. And we ruin, and not only are we wasting money taking resources away from, from people that need them, we're spending them on bad stuff, you know? We're spending them on keeping people away from their communities, on keeping people locked up for bullshit, on... on ruining people's lives forever, on, on taking mm-hmm. years off people's lives. Just so that somebody can can make some fucking cash. That's it. Yep. Well, speaking of making cash, do you want to read this uh, conservative reading list for the week? Yes, I would like to read this. Uh, <laughs> pretty happy about it. I was definitely happy when I found it. Um, it's 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 a point of view article published in the Oklahoman uh, on Saturday, July seventh called Point of View, It's Time to Irrigate OKC's Charter School Deserts. And it's by Amber M. Northern and Michael J. Petrilli. Um, This is fun. This is fun. Uh, Let's start. In a country built on the freedom to choose, whether that's Verizon or AT&T, Hulu or Netflix, iPhone or Android, it's hard to understand why we don't give poor families the opportunity to choose their schools, just as middle and upper co- upper income families can do via private schools or buying into the right neighborhood. Um, it's kind of weird to me on the first place to start with, like, in a country built on the freedom to choose and then list, like, modern stuff. I don't know. Um, well, I think I think it's also really good to be, like, like this, again, this false dichotomy where you're like, you can choose Verizon or AT&T, Hulu or Netflix, say iPhone or Android. Like, you're like, sure, you're choosing between like two things, but like, this is a massive country. And like, yeah, you can uh, you choose AT&T and they'll give you all your news. They'll give you your they'll sell you a phone that they made. They'll sell you the service for that phone. It's like. They talk about, you know, diversity in the market. Like, it's not you, you. You set up three dichotomies. You could be it's like being like, well, you can go to Walmart or Target. You can have yeah. macaroni and cheese or uh, pasta with uh, cream sauce. <laughs> you can ride a bike or take the bus or drive a car. It's totally a choice. You know, it's even. They're all even options. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but let's keep going. Let's keep going. The advent of charter schools in the mid-1990s was supposed to change that by leveling the playing field for poor families. These are independently run schools of choice, meaning that students aren't assigned to them because of where they live, but because families choose to enroll their child in them. Now, that's generally, I mean, I went to a magnet school. I kind of understand this. It's not a solution for, for the problem of rural poverty in schools in the rural area. And I think as we keep going, we're going to see why. And you can already start to see that here, and that's because obviously, like, taking schools um, and, and not having their quality be connected to the, the, the tax base of the neighborhood they're in might be a solution. I don't know. Maybe that would be a solution, but they can't think that solution. Well, and I, I also think it's important that the, the person who is writing this article is a uh, is deeply invested in this. They are a yes. advocate and lobbyist for charter schools. So they're definitely getting paid by charter schools to do this. Yep. Um, 
But let's keep let's keep going. Um, many charter schools are specifically open to serve disadvantaged youngsters in urban areas, and rigorous research has shown that many do a fine job on that count. Yet until recently, no one had determined whether we've been overlooking neighborhoods in America that are home to lots of poor children but lack charter schools. Which is just like, who gives a shit? Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like, wh- why care. do you need that research? Like, why do you need that research? Why can't you just be like, we should really try and get great schools to everybody? Yeah. <laughs> like, why do you need research to tell you that you need to get good schools to kids who are in disadvantaged areas? Like, well, it's like just why do get, you, what? Get, good, get them good schools. Why do you need to map this? Like, it's very easy. You know, half of Oklahoma's school funding comes from ad valorem property taxes and some other local taxes and then the other half comes from the state government for every single school in the state that's roughly how it works right if you just said all the property taxes go into one school budget that goes to every single school equally or like every single student equally there there would be no need to write this article and map that problem it's just literally that simple that's the solution it's over (laughs) um but that's it uh let's keep going Our organization's new study, Charter School Deserts, High Poverty Neighborhoods with Limited Educational Options, did just that. The lead author, Assistant Professor Andrew Saltz of Miami University, defined charter school deserts as areas of three or more contiguous census tracts with moderate or high poverty and no charter elementary schools. He found that of the 42 states that allow charter schools, 39 have at least one desert each. Again, why do you need to do this research? Um, well, I mean, I could understand it if you're like, okay, here are the places that are affected and we need to like know so that we, you know, if we just don't do the research, then we won't know and we can just randomly put stuff places. But at the same time, it's just like, yeah, hey, guess what? I know where our desert is. It's in North Tulsa and West OKC. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, hey, I bet it's across eight mile in Detroit, too, if they allow charter schools. Oh, in Michigan. Oh, wow. Oh, oh my God. I'm so or it's, you know, an urban or a rural area. Oh, my God. Wow. That's such a revelation. Why didn't we just yeah. give Amazing. them schools? You know, it's also one of those things where it's like, OK, you're you're trying to analyze all this data to include this stuff about charter schools. Why don't you just look at where the poor places are and then look at educational attainment and make that the rule? That's it. That's all you should do. Well, and I, I don't know. I, I also, like, I, I think there's something to be said about, like, trying to, like, judge teacher performance and trying to judge, like, those kind of things on a school level. Because, I mean, you could conceivably have a school full of bad teachers or a school that, you know, has a bad principal or something like that. But at the same time, like... You, you you don't you can, you don't have to look at the result. You don't look have to look at the output and be like, oh, here's a desert. You can look at the input and be like, oh wow, this school receives three hundred percent of the funding that the school that serves the other side of this community does. You know, yeah. when you look at like Edmond and you're like, oh wow, North gets three hundred percent of the funding that Santa Fe gets. Oh wow, wow! I, 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 and what's the? And then I mean, you know, you can look at other statistics, but I mean, that on its face is enough. You know, you could also be like, oh well, where are the people of color in that area, and which school do they go to? And you're like, oh my god, wow, it's amazing. They go to the poor one. It's almost yeah. like it was made that way and designed to be that way. Almost, almost like it. But you know what we need, Adam? Those those people need more choices. That's the real problem. They need more choices. Well, yeah, if they had choices, um, they'd be able to. Uh, do something about it. They change the world. Yeah, they would, right? <laughs> we're gonna come to that. It's it's it's. It, there's a very ironic line uh, that we're gonna get to very shortly. Um, so so let's get to it, huh? Um, of all the locales desperate for charter schools, portions of Oklahoma City are among the areas that need them most, as we were able to determine via an interactive website that accompanies our report. The city has just a handful of charter elementary schools spread from north to south. Charter deserts cover much of it, particularly the inner city south area just above and below the Oklahoma River, where the poverty rate is as high as 68.1%. This area, is also, this area also is bursting with new growth, so the problem is only likely to get worse. Which is like, again, a thing, you know, why did you all make this map? It's poor. We should put more money there. That's just it. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> um... The young people who inhabit these communities struggle academically. No doubt their parents want better choices. But rather than have, but rather than have access to oases of learning, these children are, are stuck in a charter school desert. And policies designed to, 
curb charter growth despite strong, strong demand are likely to blame. Which is one of those things like these fucking out of goddamn staters come to write in the motherfucking Oklahoman that the problem is that charter growth is getting curbed even though there's strong demand in Oklahoma after we just made fucking national news with teachers saying we should shut down school for multiple weeks because we literally are in a situation where, where kids' chairs are cutting them. And we have books from, like, musicians that are, like, 50 years old and famous that are still getting used in the fucking classroom. And they sit here and they say, oh, you know, the problem is uh, policies designed to curb charter growth. Not, not you know, that these children are stuck in just a school desert because we don't fucking fund education like a modern country. Listen, Ugh. listen, the market will solve it. All right. If we didn't, if, okay, if everyone was able to save the tax dollars that they pay um, in their tax dollars to go to public school, uh, that go to fund public school, if we just defunded all public school, and made all school private, then it'd be totally fine. Do you remember the 1800s when everyone learned in Latin and then only like the upper class got educated? That's what we should do again. It'll work. It worked then. Why won't it work now? If we just put the the gilding of choice on it, it'll work great, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but here, here's 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 like where they hit the fucking rub. Um, the biggest barrier is massive funding inequality. State law doesn't guarantee charters any local dollars, which contributes to them receiving thirty six percent less in total per pupil than their traditional public school counterparts. Such uh, on top of this, charters have less money and access to adequate facilities. Such policies dissuade able operators from opening new schools in the city and make it difficult for the ones that are already there to expand to serve the families that want to attend. Which is just like, no, it's fucking not. The, the problem you identified is what you say at the start. The biggest barrier is massive funding inequality. That's mm -hmm. it. it. has nothing to do with charter schools whatsoever. Um, that, that's it. <laughs> That's it. And, like, even if it does, like, dissuade, like, people from, like, coming and, like, building more charter schools, that's because of funding inequality. It's not like, ah, well, I mean, like, literally the answer to that is, oh, well, if they want to, if we want more charter schools, we need to increase the funding available for that. And, like, I don't even understand what they're kind of saying where they, like, pass the buck. It's like, oh, people won't do it. They don't want to. Like, what? Why? Why are you saying that? Like, that doesn't make, you're just saying, like. The same thing, except not giving a reason. Yeah. It's anyway. Just, it's, it's so stupid. Um, but that, let's wrap it up. Uh, there is, nevertheless, hope. Oklahoma can enact legislation that makes charter funding more equitable. And city leaders can ensure that new schools have access to adequate facilities. Only then will the de desperate demands of parents be met. Only then will deeply disadvantaged children finally be able to attend the high-quality schools they want and deserve. I, mean, I don't yeah. know. I, I, I mean, I mostly agree with that. I, I, I just, I think that it's kind of um, passe or uh, no, I don't know, not passe, maybe blase uh, of the Oklahoma editorial board to say this because like, yeah, we do need to massively fund not just regular brick and mortar schools, but epic charter schools and online programs and like those things are really good and they give a lot of flexibility and we're moving into an age where guess what there's more information and access on the internet than there and that's so much cheaper than in in classroom learning but the problem is is that we've read these where they're like if you tax oil the state will dissolve <laughs> yeah. well, and, and it's I mean, like so what money are you intending on using this is also the thing for me is that like this this sentence Oklahoma can enact legislation that makes charter funding more equitable or just say education funding instead of charter funding you know yeah. the charter school yeah. it's just it's just funding needs to be more equitable that's how you get deeply disadvantaged children access to the schools they deserve is you say you know what Edison High School uh, y'all get the same fucking money as East Central that's it the end now figure it the fuck out yeah that would that would be it that would be the only way to do it um. And then also to raise taxes, of course. Like, obviously, that's that's part of it. But there's also the equitable thing. And it's so fucking rich to see them sit here and say, oh, we need to do this thing where, like, we try. We're, we're, it's the same thing as the fucking private prisons, right? It's like, oh, we can let the market do this. It's not going to end up in a bunch of graft, a bunch of money going to the pockets of rich people, making them richer for no reason other than that we think the market can better do this shit. And it's like, no, if that were true, then the market would have already solved this fucking problem. But it's not true. 
and the Oklahoman editorial board for publishing this, and Amber M. Northern and Michael J. Petrilli for fucking writing this piece of shit, have shown that they give literally no fucks about the children of Oklahoma. They don't. They don't. They're just scum. Well, you know who does give fucks about Oklahoma? All the socialists who have events that you're about to tell us about. That is true. And luckily, we, we have a lot. I actually got around to asking everybody. I'm sorry about last week. Uh, people. Um, but the first thing we've got, on Thursday, July 12th, the Solidarity Through Food Kitchen will be preparing meals from 1 to 4 p.m. Uh, you can contact us or you can contact them through their Facebook page, which I'll have a link to, um, to find out where it will be this week. And they're normally active in Tulsa. Um, we've also got a link up on the Reddit post where you can donate to them if you can afford to give some money but can't really afford to give your time or that specific, you know, hunk of time. Um, on Friday, July 13th, the new Sanctuary Network of Tulsa, like always, is having its weekly protest from 12 to 12.20 in front of David L. Moss. And so if you work downtown or something, uh, you're on your lunch break, just go for 20 minutes and, and protest the, the, the actual treaty uh, that the Tulsa County Sheriff's Department has with uh, ICE, you know, and be like, hey, stop this. That's a, that's a really good thing you can do to help people. Um there are two other things I want to tell everybody about. Um, Red Dirt Defense wants to give a big shout-out and thanks to everybody from the Oklahoma Coalition for Revolutionary Action for their help with their last homelessness drive, and they're immediately accepting donations for the next one that will be on September 9th. Additionally, Red Dirt Defense is also starting CCL classes for leftists, so if that's something you want to do, go do it. Um, and definitely, you know, uh, try and help out on September 9th and donate if you can. Uh, the last one is that OKC DSA has made some awesome anti-ICE and anti-fascist shirts that you can buy to support them. Uh, I'm going to have a link to that as well in the Reddit post this week. And shout out to Leather Donut and Tweets his practice for Praxis for tagging the show on that and uh, getting a, getting a, getting it in front of us so we could shout that out this week. So go, go buy some cool anti-fascist shirts and support OKC DSA at the same time. Yeah, it doesn't say uh, this machine politely def- debates and criticizes fascists, but, but can still agree with them and come to common ground. It says this machine kills fascists. Uh, as always, you can check us out at Red Star Over OK on Twitter. Our subreddit is our Red Star Over Oklahoma. That's where we put up all of the cool little articles we read and what we discuss. As always, you can listen on SoundCloud and iTunes. If you got a question, comment, complaint, concern, criticism, critique. Um, or you just want to send Carl a funny picture. Um, you can send that from Red Star. You can send that to redstarovero.k at gmail.com. And hey, please, guys, tell your friends about us and rate and review on iTunes. As always, it helps out. And uh, have a good week. See you later. Have a good week, y'all. Bye. Bye.